Welcome back. In part two, Erin and I look at different related threads that one encounters when delving into this topic. In particular, how Erin's research ties into a topic that I had talked about last year with regard to the recent documentary type show called Hellier, uh, specifically with regard to a man named Alan Greenfield. And this, of course, links to high strangeness, uh, such as with Mothman prophecies, but also ritual magic. And it's just a culture at its finest, in my opinion. We try to make some sense out of all of this and ask how it all relates to the original case study of Steiner and Hynek. Uh, and then we shift our attention to talk about the challenges that a researcher within academia faces when trying to explore topics that are considered quote-unquote controversial, uh, as well as backlash that a researcher might experience from the people being researched. Uh, another thing about this us from the future trope, I guess, I guess what we're kind of already talking about here is that there are so many different related threads that one encounters when getting into this stuff. Uh, and one thing that came up in discussion, uh, at trans states after your presentation and actually throughout the rest of the, of the conference was this connection ufo connection uh with this show called hellier and yeah here we get into another rabbit hole there's a connection there through a particular character that the the team it's called hellier it's in reference to a place in kentucky the city called hellier there's a team of people who are uh for the show's purposes they are uh investigating uh all different types of high strangeness. And in this documentary called Hellier, the team encounter a person uh, through um, electronic uh, communications that calls themselves Terry Wrist. And the last name is spelled W-R-I-S-T-E. So Terry Wrist. Um, and they, of course, you know, they didn't know who this guy was so they googled his name and you know come to find out terry wrist the only terry wrist that they could ever you know hit on in the google um returns was this person that's from a john keel story about the alien indrid cold uh that was found in uh, john keel's book the mothman prophecy so I mentioned this to you when we were talking and I said, have you ever heard of Hellier? And you're like, no. But then you said, well, have you ever heard of somebody called Alan Greenfield? And I was like, yeah, through Hellier. So I can't remember how it was that you heard about Alan Greenfield. So if you could refresh my memory on that, and then maybe we can try to pick this whole thing apart because there was some stuff that you, that you wanted to talk about this as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is quite interesting. We're now sort of jumping uh, to the next phase of this. We're exploring some of the historical links between, yeah. I mean, what are we interested in here? We're interested in esotericism and ufology, which is what my talk was about. Yeah. yeah. 
either one of those fields when you try to study it is a whole minefield of, 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 all, of it's very difficult both of these so now we're trying to bring them together which is uh <laughs> double difficulties but there's clearly a connection i think we are establishing yeah. this <laughs> yeah um and it might seem like it might seem obvious to some people that there's a connection but even if it's obvious to some, it's it's not obvious to others, and it certainly hasn't been written about in uh, enough in an academic right. way or studied enough in this way. So I think that's like what we're we're, we're getting on, and now we're, we're this we're shifting to a very sort of contemporary uh, yeah. example of this, exactly. which has historical roots within some of these same groups we were just talking about. And so I, you know, it's funny because. I had come across uh, the book, The Complete Secret Cipher of the Euphemots. That's how I knew about it. And I came across it a long time ago, actually. And because I I like weirdness, I'm also an editor of uh, weird fiction. I write weird fiction. So anything weird uh, catches my eye. Weird is a synonym for good also for me. So it's like, ah, this, you know. It doesn't mean I then, you know. Except whatever it is or something, but it's that's where my attention goes because yeah. that's what is for me interesting. Understood. Yeah, and so that's why I had come across this book, and I remember reading it. It was also like you know, this is a long time ago. It was also around the time I was starting to learn about Crowley and Thelema, and I do remember thinking like, well, well, and, you know, there were those movies, The Men in Black, uh, with uh-huh. Will Smith and the uh-huh. <laughs> blocking out people's memories <laughs> with little web technologies and things, right. Yeah, so all of that was interesting to me. I remember I actually couldn't read the book. I read some of it. I, you know, it was a little bit um, beyond uh, what what I was looking at at the time, I guess. But I've, I was just sort of interested more in what he, what was being said and the whole uh-huh. uh, approach of the thing. And the approach of the thing was to take something like this Men in Black UFO narrative, and it, then it was totally linked together and explained through – esotericism yeah. more specifically through thelemic uh through a thelemic perspective and i just remember, i remember finding that interesting uh and that was sort of about it um he popped up once in a while on other maybe podcasts talking about magic or something that i'd heard mm-hmm. but the way the reason why i sort of remembered it was this book i did find that interesting that book you know that i think a lot of people in, who are interested in weirdness probably have come across this book because to put those two things together is a weird project, you know? Yeah. Um, I had, I knew the Hellier show. Actually, I just sort of knew it a little bit. Like I had watched some of the first one whenever it came out, I hadn't followed up much on it. And of course I don't remember the premise uh, exactly. I did remember reading somewhere though, that it like turned out that it was not, it was a hoax or I don't know exactly the story, but I was not aware that they had brought the secret ciphers of the Euphemite, uh, author on there to to do what exactly i mean i was just watching some of this that he was somehow explaining okay. to them what <laughs> it all want, means do you want me to do like a little recap of that would be excellent the, okay actually, yeah. so because maybe the the listeners listening to this now uh don't know that i did a, a earlier podcast episode about hellier and I did an episode, it was episode seven, I called it to warm up to Hellier to kind of give like a little background of what the show was all about and how these esoteric slash occult thoughts came into this whole story of, you know, this team investigating high strangeness. So I'm looking at my notes here that I made out for that show. Uh, so yeah, I mentioned the guy, Terry Wrist. Terry Wrist 
uh, contacted the investigative team, the Hellier team, and they Googled the name because they didn't know who this guy was. They couldn't find any information about him. And he came up as a reference to this book by Alan Greenfield the, that you mentioned, The Secret Cipher of the Euphonos. There was an actual, uh, a second book that he also wrote called The Secret Rituals of the Men in Black. And then those two books were kind of compiled into a, another volume called The Complete Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. So that's... Uh, that's kind of how that all came about with the men in black as well. Um, so then there were the Hellier team was like, well, who's Alan Greenfield? Who's this guy? They had never heard of him before either because these people are not occultists. They're not, they're, you know, they're, they're not involved in all this stuff. They don't know anything about it, anything. So this is all brand new to them. Uh, so they find out that Greenfield is a ufologist, but he's also an occultist and he is a practicing ceremonial magician and he was associated with the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, at one time. But he, of course, has ties to Aleister Crowley and Thelema through the OTO and through the ritual magic that he that he practices. He says... What his goal is, is to, quote, interpret the lore of ufology for occultists, end quote, and vice versa. Uh, so his book about the secret cipher, this had to do, it was based upon concepts that are used within Thelema regarding gematria. And in the show, Hellier, I'm not going to go into great detail, there are a lot of numbers that are important in this show, and they're trying to figure out what this the cipher means. And Alan Greenfield was trying to explain to them how this gematria system works and what how you know how this all uh, uh, how they can come to find meaning in these numbers that they keep finding. Let me see. I'm gonna I'm just looking through my notes here, so pardon my pausing. I'm going to skip ahead because I have a lot of information here that <laughs> this is, if you want to know about it, you can listen to the, to the other podcast episode. Cause I really go into more uh, detail there. Um, okay. So he Greenfield uh, thinks that people like Blavatsky from the Theosophical Society, Aleister Crowley, and some members of even the Hermetic Order of, Order of the Golden Dawn, as well as the OTO, have a connection to ufology. And this would make sense, because what we're talking about with Steiner, about these, uh, you know, Steiner was also talking about uh, ascended beings that, you know, from different places outside of the cosmos, or not, from, you know, not on Earth anyway, uh, coming to, to visit us for whatever reason. Uh, Greenfield calls them secret agents, and this also, I think, what he's drawing upon is very clear. He's drawing upon, uh, drawing upon, pardon me, the theosophical concept of the Mahatmas, the ascended masters, and all of this. So we've, you know, we've discussed this a little bit already. He considers this a sort of priesthood that protects the secret of the divine visitors. So these. These visitors that are coming, they're like some kind of, yeah, divine beings. Um, he is operating on the basis that our planet was visited long ago by extraterrestrials and other entities, and that the priesthood that was uh, formed then uh, needed to be developed to protect the, the secret oaths, the secret signs, and the ciphers, 
And they did this, they created all of these secret things to be able to communicate with each other so that nobody else would, you know, would be alerted as to what was actually going on. So there's this element of secrecy that is uh, highly uh, evident and prominent in this, uh, this whole idea that he is communicating. Uh, Greenfield speaks of the cosmos and our world manifesting out of an ultimate no thing or nothing. And the, this manifestation, of course, consists of energies or higher intelligences. Um, now, these en en energies or entities, he views them as being a mix of what we would consider to be good or evil. And he calls them black lodges and white lodges. So it's not to be confused with ethnicity or race. It's just this pure abstract thing of, thing of black being not good and white being good. So, um, and then of course, the White Lodge is then associated with the Great White Brotherhood, other, a.k.a. the Ascended Masters that you hear about in the Theosophical Society's teachings. So that's the White Lodge with all the Ascended Masters. And then, of course, the Black Lodge is then made up of entities that are holding back human evolution and keeping a slave mentality in place, in his words. And he puts men in black in that group too. So now the Terry Wrist connection is that Alan Greenfield claims that he interviewed Terry Wrist. And Terry Wrist told him that there were particular rituals that were taken from uh, Thelemic practice. Actually, the, the rituals are very ancient rituals that are taken from Coptic um, ritual uh, magical papyri uh, that were in modern days through like Thelema and the OTO were reworked. And this ritual is called the headless ritual or the bornless ritual. And this magical ritual that, uh, that Terry Rist is talking about is that this is like the ultimate ritual that you can do to protect yourself against the, the entities from the Black Lodge. So in my opinion, I'm not going to go into any more detail about this because I've already talked a lot. But in my opinion, this is a culture at its finest because uh, you've got all of these different people from all of these different groups included in the mix. And that now, you know... UFOs are also included in this and how people can protect themselves using ceremonial ritual magical practices, I think, is the the ultimate. So this blew mm -hmm. the Hellier team's mind, of course, because mm -hmm. they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. So that's kind of the recap. So how does this relate then to your case study? Well, thank you for that that recap. It's quite interesting. Also, my only follow up would be: Did they then perform these rituals in the show or something like this? Or no? Uh, no, not that. No, not that one <laughs> because they don't know any. They don't know enough about it uh, to mm -hmm. be able to do it. This is. These are very highly. Uh, these are you know highly advanced rituals. 
So, and, and because they were not familiar with this at all, they were just, it was, I think a lot of just went over their head. Uh, mm-hmm. And this stuff that came that I was telling you about this ritual actually was in the book. And I don't remember if Greenfield actually said anything to them about it. They did read the book though. So they were familiar with what Greenfield was talking about. I see. So, so then he, he just go, the show kind of continued after that. Oh no. Yes. They, they were trying to do other types of uh, experiments. They were using God helmets and uh, other shoot. Now I can't remember the other, the other uh, name of the other type of experiment that they, I'd have to go look through my notes. I will include that in the program notes to tell you, because I can't remember it right now. I have to go look that up. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they were trying to do similar types of altered states of consciousness uh, experiments to try to communicate with whatever entity that kept sending them all of these clues that, or they felt were, were clues and mm-hmm. uh, trying to get answers that way because they're not, they're not ceremonial magicians. So they were using other more, uh, I guess, contemporary uh, methods. They were um, more science. It sounds like a little bit or something. Yeah. Alternative, I would say mm-hmm. alternative types of uh, science, scientific experiments. Yeah. I'm, I'm not quite certain the validity of of like a god helmet in in the context of using it with within a paranormal setting uh, but it is similar in in the sense that you have like a society for psychical research looking into uh events that happened within spiritualism it's right and trying to do it from a scientifically yeah. credible way well, at least in their eyes but then you have people in the brick building down the street meeting together at midnight doing it this other way through rituals, right? right? Yeah. 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 Thank you for the recap. It's quite interesting. I just watched the one, literally the episode before we started, and it was uh, striking. This divide between them was pretty, it was quite apparent. That was also interesting in and of itself, where you had these two, yeah, like ghost hunter technology, you know, into following. Um, uh, like urban legends yeah. type vibe. And then you had him who has this whole background in all sorts of occult uh, yeah. uh, intrigues and, and, and rituals and so on and, and, and not, and, you know, studier and so forth. So he was seemed to be telling them like these numbers you're getting, this is, and this world of weirdness you're entering into is preparing you for an initiatic process to sort of initiate right. you into awareness you know, and what's beyond the veil, which is what's beyond the veil and all of this stuff we're talking about, this whole other, uh, this whole other interpretation of reality that involves interaction with, with other beings and yeah. higher, so quote unquote higher and lower, uh, maybe frequencies or levels of evolution or, or something. So even that was quite interesting for me, just looking at the, 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 the dis, I don't know if it was dissonance, but there was a funny, it was funny to watch the two, uh, the, the two backgrounds trying to, you know, explain yeah, discuss this thing. <laughs> definitely a tension there because they didn't know anything about Greenfield. They didn't really know who he was until they, you know, they met with him and then they started to kind of dig a little deeper and find right, out. But I do think it's it's a perfect example, actually. And what it, two things that I that I thought about it in terms of what you were talking about is 
you know, this whole thing about the white hats and the black hats that you find all over in these conspiracy stuff today. Yeah. Never had thought that this is the same. Cause I read a paper about nationalism, uh, in World War One, which was all this thing, the people accusing other nations of working for either this white or black lodge. Mm. It's like we have the same thing now. It's just hats instead of lodges, yeah. apparently, yeah. or something. And I never made that connection until right now. It's kind of a, something interesting. But uh, the other thing about it, though, was there's and we just you just you you just said it, and maybe we should just sort of make it more the picture more um, emphasize it more that even now there seem to be two. Like two approaches to this thing. There is the more attempting to be credible in the scientific, governmental, intellectual, you know, authorized intellectual realms to study a phenomenon that, as we said before, is stigmatized uh, for a very long time, but is now gaining some kind of traction, as I tried to point out in my presentation. So you you have this uh, approach in which. Also, esotericism and ufology are, as I pointed out with Heineck, are connected, actually. Um, so you, you have that. And then you have this other, this more occulture uh, aspect of it, which is like, a, you know, more practical, more practitioner world in which these ideas are, you know, these ideas are much more malleable and it's a, it's a creative process for, for involved in experience and so forth. But they're also linking the making a link. So it's sort of interesting here. We can see that uh, in, in both cases, we have just kind of two examples of, I guess, of a, of a more, you know, more um, authorized, quote unquote, authorized approach. And then the more, maybe we can just say scholar practitioner or something. Oh, that's not quite right. But, but something like that, two different approaches to the same thing, but the presence of esotericism and, and the, with the UFOs is you can find it in, in, in both. But, you know, when I looked up, uh, this whole thing, just to mention, just to think about this, that he, um, these two worlds are also blurring in a certain sense. There's, it made me think of there's this one group called the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but they are, um, the guy who runs this thing like leads retreats. And on these retreats, the way you have an experience of a, of a UFO is through group meditation. So you do a group meditation ritual, basically, and it's supposed to summon. These are called UFO summonings. Maybe you've heard of this. They're not summoning. Sounds uh, familiar. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not just this group. There, this is a, another. This is another area which is um, perhaps forming. Maybe will become more of a thing. I don't know. But UFO summonings are also uh, an interesting part of this because there you have this some this ritual magic of summoning, but you're not summoning. It's just like you're still summoning something. It's just the whole, whatever it is you're summoning, it's not a quote-unquote demon or angel anymore. It's now this piece of technology in the sky, you know? Right. Well, no, no. Yeah. There are people heard that... Of this. Yeah, I have heard of this. There are people that are trying to, through, yeah, like a med- meditation, uh, uh, group meditation, mm-hmm. to try mm-hmm. to get, uh, yeah, actual objects that they can actually see objects yeah i have right. heard of that yeah yeah and i don't know if that's necessarily like there's still like the scientific realm scientists are studying this or academics i don't know if they would go down there they might already be there a little bit i'm not sure but it's like a, it's just another it's somehow in the middle of these two things is all i want to point out just yeah. summoning of ufos 
<clears throat> it's not done within an occult initiatory, you know, process. It's, it's it, but it does involve, you know, summoning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another thing I wanted to mention. But when you, um, when you, when you look up some of the background of, um, of Greenfeld, um, there were two other people that he was connected with, uh, in, who in the history of ufology. One was uh, someone named, and of course, I'm not a, an expert on ufology, so some people who study ufology know all of this, so this is more newer to me, um, Yeah, this aspect <laughs> of it. So it was, yeah, okay, good. So one is Gray Barker. Uh, he was a, a writer also who wrote about paranormal and UFO things, uh, 50s and 60s, and then, uh, and so forth. But he uh, was sort of, you know, part of this ufology scene, and he was apparently the person who started writing about this Mothman uh, thing that you mentioned too, oh, this yeah. with John Keel, that he was sort of writing about this first and then Keel picks it up later. And there was another individual named James Mosley. And I think in the interview, Greenfield mentions both of these guys. And, and he was also this James Mosley was also involved in ufology, writing about UFOs and so forth. They were also connected to Greenfield, you know, back in, back when they were sort of a sort of different uh, era of ufology, we would say maybe old school. I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, but what I found interesting about that is, and this is why it's also interesting he's in the show, because that show was like, is it a hoax? Is it not? Is it real? Or is it like a right. breaking the fourth wall type thing? Or what is it yeah. like, you know? But they, both of them were uh, involved in, various hoaxes. Um, it was sort of like they were doing, doing hoaxes, this trickster hoax thing with UFO phenomenon and perhaps even, you know, this Mothman thing. Uh, Greenfeld was also connected with, with them during some of this. So it was like part hoax, but part real too, you know? And this is the trickster element, which mm. if you, when the show comes on, it's called trickster, right? Yep. That episode at least. Yeah. And it's related to also already this background of um, of this trickster element of esotericism, and this brings us all the way back to the theme of that conference that I presented that about s- tricking, magic, secrecy, revealing, uh, all of that. And so I don't know if those other two were in- interested in the OTO or occult. I haven't read that much, but they were, you know, friends I think with Greenfield. So okay. it's just an interesting uh, part of this whole story links to the history of new age occultism, even the Lima here we're, we're talking about. So, you know, these are, there's a really interesting for me thread there about, about esotericism and ufology that could be pressed on more. And people could write about this. I think it would be interesting to learn more about how these things are functioning right. <laughs> together, both in a cultural social process, but also religiously like an enchantment, you know?
definitely, um, I mean, not to keep using the same word, but it is definitely evolving from mm-hmm. <laughs> a source. I mean, we can, like you said, we can find this red thread that's running back uh, throughout history of, you know, where are these ideas coming from? It's, but I think what, what's, you know, it's, it's changing the stories, the narrative, the, the context, like the package, how the story is told, all of these things, this is all changing as time goes by, but it's also as far as uh, studying this, I think this is rather, underrepresented would you not agree yeah and i think that you know this is being picked up more and like the notions of a culture you know eric's book um about high weirdness like this is like an attempt to try to start a a, um even diana pasolka's book also uh it's an attempt to try and she's also working now on rosicrucianism (laughs) and magic and ufology so she's doing she presented at a, a conference recently that was at rice that was a really great uh, keynote on this topic. So there are people trying to uh, corral this yeah. whole thing, the Skinwalker it. Ranch, <laughs> the yeah. corrals around it, uh, so and make you know make some kind of study of it. Just as an example of like what I, as a religious studies scholar, is like what jumps out at me. And this was happening when I was reading through the the it was already occurring to me as I was reading through the background of Greenfeld and Mosley and Barker. And then, but I, of course, didn't know the whole mythos as you just described it from these books, you know. But, and it was totally unrelated. I'm working on a different project all about medieval heresies and also heresies in late antiquity. Uh, Not only in in Western Europe, but also in Eastern Europe, uh, in the Eastern Roman Empire, the so-called Byzantine Uh world, all in this Middle Middle Ages period, where you had where you had and certain still have so many different expressions of, of Christianity found from so many different sources. And many of those, they all fought with it. You know, like there was, a, well, of course, whoever had the most power and either there was the, 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 the church in Constantinople or the, the Latin church, you know, yeah. could, could quell this, but this, but there was debates, you know, and they fought uh, with each other and if you read the kinds of ideas of these groups, they um, sometimes are very similar. It just made me think of some of these proliferation of, of, of ideas and groups that talk thinking about in the modern context of ufology and esotericism, just because in a lot of those groups, these, these quote-unquote heretical groups, you, you find similar, you know, similar sort of grand... Uh, grand worldviews that include elements that are a bit mind-blowing and definitely difficult for to be integrated into a, a you know more structured uh, doctrine or something that are a little bit more cosmic in a certain sense too so just to, to, to that's one like way that as a religious study scholar when i'm reading these things especially like what you just described it's like it just reminding me of reading about the belief systems yeah. to the extent that we know them of many of these like heretical groups through history yeah, and I think that again, like what you're talking about, you're, you're talking about these uh, conflicts that these groups are having uh, with with particular ideas, and whatever narrative is you know 
the endorsed one, that's the one that gets the most traction. And it depends on, yeah, who's in power, who's got the say so uh, that, yeah, that's what you that's what you're going to hear more of. And it's going to be around you uh, more. And I think that we can also kind of link that to uh, to the new age and how this narrative about UFOs came about. At first, it was all kind of scary, dangerous, you know, what's, what's happening. And even you see this in popular culture of that time with the, with the films, these were all, you know, very hostile, uh, you know, entities coming to earth to try to destroy us or enslave us. And, you know, they had, you had that type of narrative, then it started to change. And I think that's what you were probably getting at with, with kind of the heyday when you had all of these channeled message come messages coming through from, you know, either aliens or, you know, whatever you would call these entities. And it started to become more of a positive thing. And then there was this tension because you had both narratives kind of floating around at the same time. Even someone like Whitley Strieber, who started out with his, uh, his narrative about the others, uh, as he calls them, was a negative experience, very traumatic, very fright, frightening for him. Even his narrative changed at a certain point when he started to um, introduce ideas and, and concepts that had to do more about spiritual growth and about, yeah, rising to, to your, your higher potential and your higher self. And, and yeah, that there were, there were lessons that people could learn from these experiences. And it took it out of that scary um abduction they're harming me they're doing experiments on me they're hurting me they're implanting me with things it's making me sick uh whatever you know those types of narratives um and you had that you have that also within this whole hybrid thing as well you have good hybrids and you have bad hybrids you have the hybrids that are you know that are here for for nefarious purposes so there's always this tension that that seems to be existent in in the popular culture i guess you know the narratives that are that are uh kind of swimming around that people are hearing about it's either you know it's never just one thing um but i think that's also that even in the esoteric uh literature there's also that tension because there are these these forces that are good forces bad forces you know however um so, but yeah, what, I mean, we were kind of joking about this before, before we started recording the interview. You know, what is it that we're actually trying to say here? What is the, what's the point to all of this? Um, I think, I think we've made a good point already that this is not new. This is, this goes back a lot, a lot, you know, further back than what most people would, would uh, imagine. Uh, but is there anything that you'd like to add to that yeah well you know we said is i said there's an exploration that's the way this (laughs) was an exploratory (laughs) interview (laughs) exactly but nevertheless we did sort of you know make some points i think or at least made some things clear clearer than i had them at originally when we started talking and what you described about um about this shift between yes they're they're evil hurtful versus their helpful benevolent you can find that now and how because now that this quote-unquote uap thing 
is being more and more incorporated into a, a, a kind of mainstream discourse and a governmental policies, even defense policies. Like even there, you still are going to find this tension between is this a threat or is this, you know, a benef- a beneficial. So I think it's still there actually. So I think maybe it's a good way to, to wrap it up that we're, you know, uh, there's a phenomenon that there's a sort of sub narrative within this current moment that we're experiencing around the UFO UAP, which has, has a, has a history, you know? Right. And for the sake of this discussion, we are uh, removing ourselves from any type of judgment of whether or not this is a real thing or if it's a hoax or if it's right. just a figment of people's fantasies or things like that. We're not, we're not dealing in that type of uh, discussion in this conversation. And uh, I don't really think that that adds anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it doesn't add anything to the the value of the discussion because if you're just if you're just going to talk about something to say, well, it's all fake anyway, it doesn't matter. You know that right. that doesn't really add anything. So I, you know, just to make it clear to the listeners out there, we're not making any value judgments on any of this or any of the people that we're talking about. That you know, there there is this tension, as you mentioned earlier, that even the people that are involved in in ufology. Uh, yeah, they are accused of being hoaxers. They are, you know, of, of being, you know, scammers. And I think that is probably given the nature of the of the subject matter. I think you're always going to have that. But we're for for our conversation purposes, we're not we're not entering into that area. So um, just just to make that crystal clear for for anyone who might be wondering what our own personal opinions of of it we both of us we are interested in as Aaron said the weird we mm-hmm. like to look at this and whether or not you can prove it one way or the other that's that's for for the sake of this exploration as you put it Aaron it's irrelevant <laughs> we're just looking mm-hmm. at the ideas and we're, we're looking at how these ideas are traced through uh through time mm-hmm. um, and with an open mind I would say yeah too. keeping an open yeah. mind just like I mm-hmm. said before it's just you know it it yes for for some people this might be a little difficult to uh, you know, to take in. And for other people, it might not be. It might be, th- oh, yeah, this is, I, I know all about this stuff. This is great, you know. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I hope it, you know, but I hope it helps uh, in any case to, yeah, just, yeah, add to the discussion and maybe even trigger some some new discussions coming out of this, you know. So, Absolutely. Uh, but there was one other thing that I, to kind of shift the discussion in, in a different direction, you know, after your presentation and, and during our, our really wonderful discussions at the conference, we were talking about the difficulty and, and the challenges that scholars within academia who want to explore these controversial or quote unquote stigmatized areas, uh, you know, what you're, what you're facing, what you're dealing with as a, as a researcher and all of this, also including the backlash that you get as a scholar that you receive outside of the academic community you know people who are you know listening or reading what it is that you're that you're producing and you know not agreeing with it or feeling threatened by it or whatever um could you share more about the things that you've had to deal with and if you have any ideas on you know how how we could perhaps start to change 
what's what's going on within uh, within academia right now. Yeah, and yeah, and thank you for the opportunity to to speak to this too, because this will I think also kind of help showing why 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 are we talking about it? What is our why are we taking this open minded approach and so forth? And yet wanting to to talk about it. And maybe I can go back to two things I, I mentioned at the beginning. This article in the New York Times mm-hmm. is now, you know, there's a debate around this um, whole trajectory post this article and the development of ufology. But nevertheless, this, this article gave uh, some kind of legitimacy to talking about and studying this subject. And so that is certainly something I want to see. You know, this is, um, for me, it's uh, very interesting and also, you know, important because um, part of my work is about reenchantment and, uh, the, you know, the limits of science and, uh, and, and things like that. And so I am interested in um, challenging the secularity, uh, secular, secularization narrative. And I, I'm also indebted here to another one of my colleagues, uh, Hussein Agrama. He's in... Uh, He's also written about this, and um, he's an anthropologist, and he wrote an article that uh, people could look up about post-secularity and uh, the UFO phenomenon, where he makes this point that this is the big, this is why it's important is because it's the biggest uh, elephant in the room challenging this notion of post-secularity, and uh, that's a good, that's why it's worthy of study, and then he says other things beside that, but that particular point, I was really influential for my thinking because he, he, he's right, you know, it's a good way to, I am interested in challenging that, that narrative for a variety of reasons, not, not least of which is because it's clearly is not uh, what happened. <laughs> so, so that's one. So, so anything that allows um, scholars to, to, you know, pursue lines of research related to that, I'm, I'm uh, very um, in support of and very thankful for these, these kinds of things. Uh, so that's one thing. But the other thing that I would say is also to go back to Hynek, because both Hynek and Valet were scientists, PhD, you know, and they were interested in this topic and in esotericism. But in the diaries, it's it's revealed in their through their conversations that, you know, Hynek especially didn't come out and talk about any of this, especially then, you know, because he was worried about his reputation as a scientist. So that's, I think, um, another problem. That even now, like if you, you you have to do quite a dance if you want to be in be taken seriously, but also have a couple of publications on your CV. How do UFO or like me, like about Mandela effect or something? Mm-hmm. How is this going to be? Uh, how is this going to be um, interpreted by mm-hmm. whoever you're asking for a job from or a, a project? You want funding for a project? They look at this and your project's out the window or something. Yeah. So that's another reason why this area is so difficult mm. and why when this article came out people jumped on it in a, perhaps a way that seems to others like why is this article just being you know it, because it's the new york times and it's like okay i'm not saying this i'm linking to the new york times if you're going to challenge something i'm saying go challenge the new york times you know that's much more difficult uh move for, for someone to make so so i think that that's another part of it but personally you know, I, I, of course, I'm worried about it a little bit, but, you know, I don't have a career so at this point, so I, I don't really care, that, you know, now. But other people, I can see why they would care. I still care a little bit because I, I want to, to work in academia. But I'm, I've already dealt with this to a certain extent with the history of esotericism. Like, my uh, advisor was Dr. Alison Kuder, so she has been writing about esotericism. Her, 
she, I mean, for, forever, she was already, she wrote her dissertation on the connection between Leibniz and Kabbalah. And she told me stories about how just, you know, really harsh negative reaction she got from these, you know, mostly primarily male, uh, like historians, you know, in Europe that just wanted to really reject this whole thing. And so, she, you know, I'm coming in another generation where it's much more, I can talk about this in academia, but her, her whole trajectory, her whole career, she, it was a real fight, you know, to even be able to talk about this and be take it seriously. But in that, and it still exists, you know, even though, uh, yes, there's the field of esotericism, it's still, you can be uh, seen as somehow, it can be, you know, not taken seriously or also as a grounds for, um, you know, not, not funding a project, not taking someone seriously and, and so forth. So I experienced it a little bit with that, but what was interesting for me, just a personal anecdote of tr- trying to write about the UFO subject, this is not something I wanted to write about ever necessarily, even though I was interested in it. I followed it only because of the steiner Heineck connection, which was fascinating to me. <clears throat> as soon as I tried to start writing about it, because, <laughs> you know, this is a thing that's ongoing, and uh, maybe it's because I'm more of, I'm a historian in a certain sense, but now we're writing about things that are currently happening and people who are still around, who have legacies, who... Mm-hmm. It, it was, I think it was that, but also there's like this other connection, especially to, to governments and uh, yeah, like intelligence and, and government on defense and sort of defense. Like there's that whole element, government element to it. Then there's the whole group. This whole thing is a field that's outside of academia for so long, this ufology. Mm-hmm. And, and it has its own identity out there, you know, it's separate. So, it's, so as soon as I tried to start writing about it, I just was like suddenly aware of how many uh, like landmines I could step on in every direction I wanted to go is what it felt like, you know? Yeah. I nevertheless attempted to write it and I'm still working on it, but I think it adds a whole other element. Uh, Yeah. It just, it's very difficult um, thing to write about. And of course, if you were to interview Diana Pasalka, she, she wrote this book about it that was really in a certain sense groundbreaking, but she has also had all kinds of um, difficult experiences, I think in relation You'd have to ask her, but so even that's published with uh, Oxford University Press. Um, mm-hmm. This book, so I guess that's what I would say to it that there, it's important, and yet it still feels difficult to write about as a scholar. Right, there's this sense of trying to find legitimacy in many areas of kind of the the little even even uh, esotericism is kind of fringe in and of itself, but even the fringe areas within esotericism, you're trying to find some type of legitimacy for what it is that you're wanting to, uh, to research and write about. And that can be very challenging, especially if you're in areas that, yeah, a lot of people don't even take, take seriously and think that it's, you know, even happening. They think that it's just more of a fantasy, uh, or, you know, mental illness, or, you know, there are all these other explanations and labels that can be placed on them. And also, yeah, you're thinking as as your own person, you're thinking, yeah, I, I'm not only uh, engaging in territory where there's a lot of threats uh, to me, but I'm also considered a threat by being the outsider writing about this that, you know, people might be quite sensitive about it, or they might not like what I have to say and the, and the tone that I use, or, you know, they might think that I'm, you know be disrespectful or, you know, whatever it may be, they might, you know, misunderstand what it is you're trying to say. And yeah, 
that can cause a backlash for you then that these people are going to, you know, come down on you and, you know, try to quote unquote cancel you or something, you know, not that, not that that, I don't know if that really plays a big role in, I don't know if maybe it does play a big role in academia about being canceled, the threat of being canceled. I don't, I'm not certain, but because I'm not, uh, I'm not in that area of academia. Maybe having your funding canceled. Yeah, that type of thing. Yeah, I'm not in (laughs) that area. I'm not, I'm not (laughs) asking to get funding or something like that. So that's not, uh, those aren't my experiences, but I can, I can imagine that. Yeah, that's, that's also a threat, you know, to, so, and I find that to be so, on the one hand, so strange because isn't that the whole goal of, you know, of, of, you know, the whole idea of studying something, you want to study everything you want to, you're, you know, isn't, you're, you're curious, you, you're, you're seeking knowledge about something you're seeing, you know, but you have to, you have to dig into it. You have to find out what it's talking about to, you know, sort it all out. And that's what research is about. And you're not making any, I mean, as, as a researcher, in my in my case, I'm not trying to make any value judgments. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here and where does this all come from? So, yeah, why would that be discouraged? Yeah, I find that kind of a weird thing. Yeah, that's one of the weird things about especially the ufology. Of course, <laughs> other scholars have pointed this out. You know, Kreibel is the one who starts, started yeah. to try to work on this, yeah, you know. yeah. And maybe it's just the history. I don't know. But there is definitely something about that subject in particular, uh, which is quite difficult. Maybe it's all the Hollywood stuff that's been layered on. I don't know. But there's something about that one in particular that's yeah. a difficult one for sure. Although, like I said, it's, I think things are changing. But in what direction they're changing, we'll right. just have to see. Right. I thought that, you know, after the aliens do finally show up, then we can have another show. And then it'll all be much more clear, right? Exactly. We'll have some answers. <laughs> We'll have that empirical uh, side of the of the story then, right? <laughs> yeah, she will be in another box up on top there on her Zoom uh, telling us all about it. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'm, what I am curious about is, are you going to keep digging into this? Are you going to keep working on this? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I, mean, I imagine yeah. it'll become an article. Right. At the very least, um, on Heineck and Steiner. Yeah. I'm focusing historically a little bit for all these reasons that I told you yeah. that uh, uh-huh. feel a bit more comfortable doing that. But as you, we brought in with the Hellier thing, this could go in much more current. And, well, also the the thing with the the UFO uh, the UAP subject and in the De- National Defense Association Act and all of this, both that and the Hellier point to you could really do a very contemporary studies. You know, but I'm sort of focusing historically at first because I feel a bit more able to handle that uh, research a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like there's another religious studies conference coming up soon where the theme is technology and religion. Oh. And so I thought this might be another opportunity Perfect. to present on it again, maybe even from a different perspective. And so hopefully, yes, this will at least turn into an, an article. Good. Excellent. I'm happy to hear that because I I remember you saying that, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And uh, yeah, maybe it is just kind of, you know, ends up getting going to a dead end or something for you. But I think there's stuff there. It's just like you said, you just have to feel comfortable with how to approach it and just, yeah, let it develop from there. So I'm glad to hear that you're going to keep digging. Well, Aaron, this 
has been a wonderful conversation and I thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me about all of this and to explore all of this. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you very much as well. It was a good journey. Yes, and I I hope that the listeners find it interesting too. Hopefully this will open up more space for questions and comments and you know linking the things that we've talked about to other ideas and making different uh, different and new connections uh, from all of that um i was wondering where people can best find you if if they do have things that they'd like to talk to you about that might not fit just in a lot like a little comment section yeah um well you like my papers are on academia.edu so if you look my page up there you can find my research um you know or just if you google, google my name you'll find uh my uh, page at effort university okay. of effort in germany and my emails on there and i would welcome feedback comments uh, further leads and so forth so please great great well i will do my best to uh get as much information as I can in the program notes uh, for for people who might uh, be curious to look more into to look more yeah in more detail into the things that we that we taught touched on here in any case uh, but wonderful I'm so happy to hear that you're going to continue and I'm looking forward to all of the new things that are coming from uh, from your side and yeah, let's let's keep this uh, line of communication open. Let's do it. And thank you as well, and, and best of luck with the podcast. Thank you so much. My thanks again to Dr. Aaron French for this really fascinating discussion. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. I think we succeeded in opening up a space for exploration, and I hope that you, dear listener, will feel motivated to give me some feedback about it. What are your thoughts? Do you, or do you have questions? Please let me know. You can also contact Erin directly with questions or comments. Just check out the program notes for the links. I have a new Spotlight interview coming up with Kevin Buchlochlin from Trans States. Some of you might have noticed that I made some blog posts about the most recent conference, and I talked with him recently about Trans States, the history, the concept, and what's to come. That will be on YouTube sometime in December. I've also got a few other things lined up, but I'm not quite certain when it will all be ready. So please stay tuned for more to come. Okay, be well, everyone. And as always, thanks for listening.